Amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see y'all. And I got a little distracted when he was talking because stand-up paddleboard, I have not had a chance to do that yet. Um, however, I get the mail at the church, and so we had a bill from Sup Abilene, and I'm looking at it going like, Sup? Like, hello, Abilene? Like, what is this? And then I was told our students are going to get to go paddleboarding, so I need to get in on that. Oh my goodness, we have a whole lot going on this morning. I am so glad that you're here and we're going to go ahead and jump into things because we have got grad recognition in a little bit. We've got so many good things going on and we are just about done with this series that we've been walking through in the book of Nehemiah. Now months and months and months ago, I'm going to go ahead and give you a little bit of a heads up. Today's message is going to be the most different message in the entire series Um, Because as I sat in a hotel room in the DFW area and read through the book and I would kind of make notes of, hey, here's a break, here's a break, this is what the weeks are going to look like, I got to one point where I was like, I have been reading for a really, really long time and I have been mispronouncing every, every name, what am I going to do with this? And so that's where we are this morning. So get ready for a chapter and a half of the book of Nehemiah in about 20 minutes. So what would it look like if an entire city... Like imagine our community being able to come together, united around one central thing where we all celebrated it, we didn't care about other people's backgrounds, we didn't care about where you came from, if you were from this area or this area, or if you had this thought or this thought. What if everyone had the ability to come together and celebrate one thing? Well, that happens in some places, right? And you think, okay, is it spiritual? No, I I, I hope it can be. But usually it's what we call college football. (laughs) Here in a couple of, oh gosh, we got a couple months, there are certain areas that will come together and unite and say, we are celebrating football. And so you take a city like Waco. All the Baptists get together. They wear their green and gold. They, They do that, float their boats, and they celebrate the Baylor Bears. And even a city like Abilene, we get everybody. We get the Baptists, the Methodists, Church of Christ. Everybody gets together to celebrate their school playing football. It's in my notes, so I have to do it. And then you have places like Austin and Lubbock. I'm about to lose everybody. All the heathen come together. (laughs) They do their horns. They raise their pistols or whatever that is they celebrate their football teams and then the chosen get together in college station texas and we whoop we say gig because we know just like every year this is finally our year so there's that if you've ever been in one of those areas where you just watch a city be taken over by something And yes, I'm very biased and I'm a very much a pretentious Aggie, but I've been at a place where literally hundreds of thousands of people are gathered together, um, not in worship, but in celebrating football. And you watch as just a, a complete area is taken over with a central idea. And yes, I am a massive sports fan. I got hot sports opinions. Get that one. But here's here's what I would pray. As much as I love that, what if it actually did look like a group of believers coming together and saying, we have a central idea, we have a central purpose, we have a huge focus that drives us and moves us and motivates us, 
And that's what you're going to semi-see today. As we've walked through this book of Nehemiah, you've watched big things happen after big things happen after big things happen. We've seen physical things happen where this wall has been built. And then as the book goes along, there's this shift where spiritual comes in. And these people are not awakened for a wall. They're awakened to who God is. In Nehemiah chapter 11 and well into verse, or chapter 12, we didn't even put it all up on the screen because it's, it's another section where it's a lot of names. And early on, this has also been a fun thing. This has been a growing point for me. Like, I'm, I'm, not an, I'm not a young man, I'm not an old man, I'm, I'm not middle-aged, I don't know what I am, really. Uh, I don't want to say that I'm getting towards the middle, but I'm getting there. But as I've gone through this, this has been a good growing moment for me, where early on I was like, I'm going to read every single verse. And then I remembered, I'm from North Zulch, Texas. Um, I can't read some of these things. And so, it is a massive section where here's the big idea. The people, we've already seen them begin to repopulate Jerusalem. This is going to be another section of that. This is another section where they say, you know what, our city is now, we can defend it. We know that we can have inhabitants. We know that people aren't going to come in. All these people at the beginning of the book that were trying to oppose us and oppress us. And so they're going to basically begin bringing more people into Jerusalem. And chapters 11 and 12 deal with mainly the names of these people that are being brought in. The reason that we're not going to read all of it is because I will butcher it for about 30 minutes just trying to read the names. But what we're going to see today is Nehemiah chapter 11 and 12, they carry a huge idea. And the idea is this, urban renewal. What if an entire city could come together and that city was united under who God was? An entire city united and saying, you know what, we're all about his glory. We're willing to set aside our own lives so that God can be celebrated. This is kind of what it looks like. I mean, this, this has happened a number of times in Scripture. You've got, and we even looked at it a couple weeks ago whenever we were looking at the prayer that these priests prayed. They talked about Abram. There was a moment where this man who was doing really well for himself, named Abram, God comes to him and says, hey, I'm going to pluck you out of your comfort, and I'm going to take you to a place that you've never even seen before. And Abraham said, okay. And today you're going to see a number of people that come out of probably their comfort zone, but they say, hey, there's something more important, and it's God's glory. And so we're going to read just a little bit. We'll look in Nehemiah chapter 11. If you've got a Bible um, or if you've got a Bible app, I would encourage you to pull that up because I'm going to make a few references. Um, but again, it's a lot of names, and so we're not going to try and read through all of them. But we're going to start in verse 1. It says, now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. And the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These were the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem. But in the towns of Judea, everyone lived on his own property and in their towns. Israel and the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And in Jerusalem lived certain of the sons of Judah and the sons of Benjamin. Now, if we kept reading from there, and if you've got a Bible or if you've got it pulled up on your app, you'll find that what follows is a lot of verses where it lists names of people. And it lists names of people and lists names of people. And then it'll say, hey, from this area, there were this many people. And then it's going to continue that process on and on and on. Here's, 
here's what I want to try and show you today. One, Nehemiah had a plan. <laughs> We're going to start getting back to Nehemiah now. We, we haven't really, we've been reading from his book. Uh, we have not mentioned him that much as of late. Because Nehemiah was a very skilled leader. We've talked about that a good bit. He was a strong enough leader to know that, hey, in certain areas, I'm going to need to take a step back. He knew that, hey, I'm the governor of Jerusalem. I'm not the high priest. I'm not the religious person who's leading these people. And so he understood there's times where I'm going to take a step back. He understood, hey, I've built this wall, and I've done a really good job with that. But I also know that God didn't just call me to build a wall. He called me to lead basically a, an entire nation in revival. And I can lead that, but in order to lead that, I'm going to take a step back. And I'm going to let the people that God has called to grow these people move into those spots. And that's why we had chapter after chapter where there were priests that stood up and began reading the, the word of God to people for hours on end. And there were people that went out amongst the crowds and said, hey, do you understand what that means? And they began to explain it to them. And there were people that stood up and they prayed prayers where they just recited the story of what God had done from creation on. And now Nehemiah is going to kind of step back in and go, okay, I also need to bring more people in. And so he has a plan in this. And the plan that Nehemiah has, we're going to look at just a little bit, but what I hope we see is, Nehemiah's plan, it still needs to be played out today. So the first thing that Nehemiah's plan involved was it was organized. His plan was very, very organized, which is very shocking because Nehemiah is an unbelievably organized human being. And so his plan, some of the things that we can see, it involves very specific people. In verse 4 it says, and the sons of Judah and the sons of Benjamin, that's not just some random thrown in there thing. The sons of Benjamin and the sons of Judah, whenever the tribes first moved into the promised land, they were given specific areas. And this was a long time before even Nehemiah was written. But the sons of Judah and the sons of Benjamin, their territory was where Jerusalem sat. And he understood, hey, people tend to like their own property, right? Like you may not defend somebody else's house, but somebody tries to break into yours, you'll definitely do it. And he understood, hey, these people, this is their land. This is the land of Judah. This is the land of the people of Benjamin. This is where Jerusalem lies. I need to bring some of those people in because they are going to be very invested in making sure that this city prospers. And so he had an organizational plan where he realized, hey, I need to bring certain people in. He also understood that in order for the city to prosper and it to be a place where people came to worship, it was going to have to involve all these different groups. And he talks about, in verse 10, it says the priests come in. In verse 15, the Levites come in. In verse 19, the, the gatekeepers come in. In verse 22, it says more overseers come in, singers, workers of the house of God. This was a very organized moment. And I'm going to talk about some of those people in particular in a second. But he understood, I need to bring these people in. This needs to be an organized thing so that it can be successful. Like if you've worked in any sort of job where you have to oversee organization, you understand this is extremely important. Years and years ago, he's not in here right now, but I totally stole an idea from J.D. Umber. Um, he had me come out and speak at a D-Now where he had all these guys and they were out in the woods camping and it was awesome until he hit me in the eye with a tree and I went to the hospital. That was fun. Um, but I took his idea and said, I'm going to do that. And so I did this thing for years when I was a student pastor called MAM Retreat. And we'd take 
middle school and high school guys out in the woods and split them into tribes, and it was a lot of fun. And the first year that we did it, everybody came back. That's the important thing. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't lose anybody. But when we got done with that, I was like, man, I am tired. I had done everything. I was responsible for making sure people were there, making sure everything was cooked, that nobody died, which in student ministry is a real thing. Um, and I got done with it. I was just like, man, I'm tired. And I realized, like, I cannot, I can't do this every year. I'm going to have to rethink some things. And I think I've shared this before. So I went to some people and said, hey, I know you like to cook. Do you want to cook next year? Yeah, we got this. Okay. And I went to some other people and said, hey, I know you're a really, really good leader. Do you mind just, like, making sure that some of this organizational side is taken care of? Yeah. And the next year, completely different. Man, I came back. I wasn't stressed out. We had more people. I think the last year that we did it, we had like 150 middle school and high school guys invade some friends of mine's property. And it was one of my favorite things that I've ever got to do. But I had to realize, man, this is going to take some organization. And Nehemiah realizes this city is going to prosper. It's going to take an organized effort. It also involved participation. In verse 2, it says, And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. See, they had cast lots. This was one thing where they went and they said, hey, everybody, we're going to cast lots, and one out of every ten, you are going to move to Jerusalem, which means you're going to uproot yourself from whatever city that you're in. We're not really city. These were small towns in the area. And you, and it says the men cast lots. That also meant they took their families with them. And they would go and live in Jerusalem. But there were other people that said, you know what? I know my buddy got picked, but I understand what's going on here. This isn't just about populating the city. This is populating Jerusalem. This is populating God's city. This is about his glory. And so some of the people said, hey, I'm going to willingly take my family. Hopefully they, you know, talked with their spouses and prayed with them, everything like that. If you've ever had to move your family before, you know that needs to be a group effort. And they said, you know what? We're going to go to Jerusalem as well. This involved participation. These people understood, hey, we want to take an active role in this. These were people that had lived outside of the city of Jerusalem. And for years, they had maybe wandered by this city and looked and seen it falling down and decrepit. And then these are also the people that, over a span of a couple of months, watched these massive walls go up. And they understood God's doing something there. And they said, I want to be a part of that. They took an active role in it. They'd seen the walls go up. They'd probably gone to Jerusalem at this point, and they'd heard all these people speaking God's word over and over and over again. And they were stirred within that and said, you know what? I'm hearing God's word. I want to be a part of that. So it was organized. It had participation. It also had a religious base. If you actually take the time and read through chapter 11 and read through the first half of chapter 12, what you find is almost all of these people had a religious purpose. And when I say religious, I don't mean in that, like, if we think in 2021 terms, that very, like, religious, like, okay, they're spiritual, they, they think this way. No, these were people who were very intentional in their worship to God. Like, let, I don't want to water down the term religious. I want us to understand these were people that understood, hey, what I am doing, it's not about me. It's about bringing glory to God. And so that's why you see people like the singers, the gatekeepers, the worship leaders, all of these people being brought together. 
there's kind of a shift that happens. Like when we first started the book of Nehemiah, we had a chapter where there were a lot of names and it was early on, so I read all of them. And it was these people that said, Nehemiah brought him in. He said, hey, you have this section of the wall. You have this section of the wall. And this people came together and they built this. And this people came together and they built this. And now you kind of have a shift. It's not so much the skilled workers. Like it takes a certain amount to build a wall. Like anybody can just throw stuff together. But it does take some skilled labor in order to build a massive two-mile wall. But now you see not so much of what we would call skilled labor, And you see these people that are popping up like the Levites and the priests and the singers and the workers of the house of God. It's kind of a shift from these skilled workers and it's suddenly people who are going to oversee worship and devotion. And so Nehemiah begins to bring all of these people together with his plan. And all of these people begin to descend on Jerusalem. And yes, now Jerusalem is a city that is surrounded by a massive wall And so it feels safe. And shouldn't it end there? Okay, we have personal comfort. We're going to be inside of a walled city in ancient times, which means I now have my own comfort. And Nehemiah is going, no, it's it's not about your comfort. It's about something bigger. And I'm going to bring together massive groups of people that are going to point people back to the God who oversaw all of this. Nehemiah's plan was really, again, once again, pointing people back towards who God was. And so, Nehemiah had a plan. How does that, what does that look like in 2021? We need to have a plan as well. If we go through and we see that, man, Nehemiah was just bringing all of these people into a strong biblical community, what can that look like today? The first thing's this. We need to be among the people. And so you had people in this story for all these random little towns around Jerusalem, places that, you know, people would walk through and go, can you even read? And it was a long time ago. They probably couldn't. You had them all brought together. He created this community so that people could be among the people. And we need to have that same mentality. It is not by happenstance. It is not by some random calamity of the universe that you are living in, maybe you don't live in Abilene, maybe you're in the, we'll say the big country, but you're living here in 2021 for an exact purpose. That's where God's placed you. He didn't place you in 1799 Paris. He hasn't placed you if he doesn't come back in 2077, wherever, pick a city. He's placed you here and now. And he's placed us here so that we can be among the people. Now, that doesn't mean that we are among the people in a sinful aspect. Sometimes that comes up. Like, I even talked with somebody last week. Like, where's that line where we're trying to reach out, but we don't cross over? That line looks different a lot of times. It looks different for individuals where people go, you know what? I can, I can go to this place and I can minister to people and it's not a, it doesn't affect me. And some people it would. But he's called us to be among the people really in our community. And so how do you do that? Are you doing that? Like when it comes to your neighborhood, are you invested in that? When it comes to our community, are you invested in your community? Are you finding ways to get plugged in with people, not to be connected, there's nothing wrong with that, but to point people back to God? 
to point people back to a Savior who is absolutely loving. Like, are you among the people in that way? Or do we just kind of take a step back and go, no, I like these walls, I like these people, but we've been called to be out in the community. Not everybody that showed up in Jerusalem was a believer. There were a lot of them, man, this is a religious revival that's happening right now. Lots of people going back to God. But if the Bible is true, we also know that, man, there are some people that went, hey, there's a bunch of people moving back in there. That's a good way to make money. (laughs) There's a good way to manipulate something. There were people that were far from God that were showing up, and this was these people's opportunity to reach out to him. And we have that same opportunity. At times, though, we have to move beyond these walls. You've got to find ways to get connected. I have to do that. Like, I tell people, like, when it comes to the church, we don't ask, like, as a staff, we don't ask people to do anything we're not willing to do ourselves. And so when it comes to getting out in the community, I have to work at that, honestly. Like, you can go to your workplace and minister to people, and I can do that too. Like, I'm praying for our kids' minister. I mean, just God work with her. But I work with people that work at a church. (laughs) That's a reality. And so can I tell them about Jesus? Yes. They know him. (laughs) So I have to figure out ways to do that. And so for me, it's, hey, I'm going to get involved in my community. I'm going to go where the people are. And so I help coach baseball. I am a horrible baseball player. (laughs) The most embarrassing thing in the entirety of my 37 years of existence is the simple motion of throwing a baseball. I've played every sport. I don't know. I'm going to blame concussions. I've had several. Um, But somehow, the simplest motion of throwing a baseball, I can't do it. It's embarrassing. I will, if I'm really worked up, I'll throw it in the ground right in front of me. Like every kid on the team knows, Coach Jamie, he doesn't throw to us. He throws grounders. <laughs> Work on batting, running the bases, that sort of thing. But it's a way that I went, you know what? This is a chance for me to get involved in the community. And so some of those people are believers. And I've got to know people that work at other churches and go to different places. Some of them are definitely not. <laughs> and you know what? That was my opportunity to go, you know what? Here's a chance for me to get to know some people. Here's a chance for me to invest in people's lives. Sometimes you have to work to be among the people. And then sometimes you don't really have to work that hard. Because for most people, you just go to work. You talk to people. And yeah, you've got people that love God, and then you've got people that don't. And it's our opportunity to be among people, to see God move in our community. So we need to be among the people, and we need to be a biblical community. So what does that look like, to be a biblical community? We could, I could do an entire message on that, but I just I have one verse that I feel like, you know what, let's gravitate towards that. It's Micah 6, 8. Micah 6, 8, he says, He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. We could do years of what a biblical community looks like. And then sometimes I would say we could take that verse, and this is not a take it out of context or anything like that. We do those three things, we're going to be doing okay. Like if we act justly towards everyone, We will create a biblical community. Because sometimes that's going to mean justice in a 
strong biblical way where we look at somebody who we love and we're going to do it in love. As a believer, we look at another believer and say, hey, man, you're just not walking. And I love you enough to try and point you back towards truth. And so we act justly in that way. And there's other times where we realize this person is very far from God. The Bible would say that, hey, without God, like you can't, without Christ, you can't please him. And we don't look at people in a judgmental way, but we look at them and say, hey, I'm going to lovingly build a relationship with you, even though you're different than me. You may have voted differently. You may have different bumper stickers on your car. But I'm going to act in a just way towards you. And then love mercy. If we love mercy, oh, man. Christian's got to learn this one a little more. (laughs) I have a Twitter feed from years ago that continually pops up, and so sometimes I look at it. It was a ministry that I was a part of. And we followed a whole lot of different people on Twitter, and it was mostly people in the Christian community. I say Christian community because I have to do it that way. And I have watched so many people hate everything. Oh, this person thinks one iota different than I do, and so therefore I have to blast them and hate on them and can't stand them. This person says this verse means this, and so I, what is wrong with them? There are times where that's needed. Like if someone claims Christianity but says, yeah, there's another way than Jesus, that's a lie from hell. Um, I'm not going to get behind that. But there are so many times where the idea of mercy within Christianity is almost lost. Like, we're way too quick to, like, kill our wounded. We're way too quick to destroy an idea that seems slightly different than our own. We say, man, there's some things I am unbelievably close-handed on. Like, you sit down and talk theology with me, you'll find, like, I got some really close-handed things. And then there's some that I'll go, you know what, I used to be pretty close-handed on, and I'm going to be a little more open-handed because it's not a close-handed issue. need to be merciful. I need mercy poured out on me. Like, that's all of us. And then walk humbly. Gosh. Can you imagine if Christians had a little more humility? And not the, like, I'm more humble than you kind of mentality, but, like, legitimate, you know what? Jesus. You look at his example. I've said it I don't know how many times. There wasn't, there's not one molecule in the universe that Jesus can't look at and go, that's mine. And then he sits down, crouched around his disciples' feet, and he washes them. Man, the picture of humility, we have got to chase after that. So we need to be a biblical community. And the last thing is this. We need a vision. We have got to have a vision in our plan. And so just real quick, from a South Point standpoint, we would say, yeah, we we feel like we have a vision. And here's what happens when we have a vision. God begins to work. And so at South Point, we say, hey, one, we're a committed church. We're committed to the gospel. We're committed to people knowing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God created everything in absolute perfection. And we get two pages of that, right? (laughs) And then senators into the world. 
And we don't shy away from that. Sin is a real thing. Every single person, not trying to offend anyone. I don't think it offends people. I think people just don't think about it anymore. We are all sinful. Every one of us have done something that rails against a perfect and holy God. And if the story ended right there, God would still be perfect and holy. But you want to talk about mercy? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life to pay the penalty for our sin. And when we turn away from our old life and follow him, we experience salvation. We want people to know that full story, and one day he's going to restore everything in perfection. So we're committed to the gospel. We're committed to God's word. We will walk through this thing and walk through this thing and walk through this thing. And if ever there is an issue within our own lives or within society that goes contrary to the Bible, the Bible wins. That will always be a consistent thing of this church. We are committed to God's word. We're committed to the uncommitted. We have friends, family, neighbors that are far from God, and we want to see them know him. And we're committed to obedience. You walk in obedience, and you will be discipled. So that's part of our vision. And then a couple years ago, we said, hey, we're also for some things. We're for God's glory. Everything that we do here, we want it to point back, not to us, not so people go, oh, look what you're doing. No, look what God's doing. He always wins. We, you never, ever, ever want to split the glory with God, right? Never. <laughs> like, in your house, if something good happens, Whitney and I, we'll kind of talk about, well, who do you think made that happen? Well, that's probably my genetics. That's your. When it comes to God, you don't split the glory. He gets all of it. And so we want to be for God's glory. We want to be for people. We want to see people leave a life of brokenness, a life that's dark, and point them back to God. We're for community. We don't want this to just be a place where you show up come in and sit and that's great we want to be connected we want to see new life groups spring up we want to see people get involved and invested we want to see people come together to where you share stories together and we're for the nations what happens here can happen everywhere right now we've got missionaries they're asleep right now because they're on the other side of the world And when you're asleep, they're sharing the gospel. These are the things we want to be for. We want to be known for what we're for, not just what we're against. And so that's kind of our vision. Like our plan needs to have a vision. And if we start walking that, what happens? God does big things. Next service, man. One of my favorite things in the entire world is to get in there and baptize someone. We've got people that are committed and saying, you know what, I have a relationship with Christ and I want to make that public. God's moving in that. Later this week, I got to sit down and have more conversations with people about being baptized. Those conversations never get old. God's doing something. Here in a second, people are going to leave and go to equipping class and be raised up and taught so that not just to hold that in, but to be able to share that with others. God's doing something. And then, in a couple of weeks, I'm just going to throw this out there, we're going to have a work day, and I'm going to need some people to show up. 
Because earlier this week, here's how you know God's sovereign. I made a random Facebook post earlier this week. Made no sense to most people. It was about a truck. Allison Umber, our kids minister, she replied to it saying, hey, you can get your truck, but if you get us a playground at the church, we'll talk about that. (laughs) And then from that conversation, someone said, hey, do you want a playground? We'd like to donate one. And so we had a playground donated to our church this week. Won't cost us anything. We will need to assemble it. Looking at you, Jay. Some of us helped him put one together. That favor's coming back, buddy. But we had an entire playground, like like bigger than Chick-fil-A's, donated to our church. And so whenever kids come in, it's not about stuff, but that's fun for them. One more aspect where they're going to come in and say, I love my church. (laughs) I learned about Jesus, and I went up the slide instead of down it. That'll be my kid. (laughs) Man, God's doing stuff. Like when we begin to follow his plan, God just moves, and we get to be a part of it. So I pray that that's what we'll do. I pray that we'll be a people that care about our community. You got friends, relatives, neighbors, everybody living around you. Love on them well. These people cared enough about their city to invade it, essentially, to be a part of it. Man, I pray that we have the same mentality when it comes to ours. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, thank you for placing us where you have. God, you called some of these people to Jerusalem. God, you you called some of us to Abilene in the big country area. Thank you. God, I pray that we'll invest in the people that are around us, that will care about them, that will love on them, that will point them to you. God, that we'd love our community enough to say, hey, there's a place where you can belong. There's a place where you can hear a message of hope. God, let us be a church that cares genuinely about our community so that we can point people to you. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.